Our first scripture reading is from the Song of Solomon in the second chapter, verses 8 through 13. The voice of my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping on the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Our psalm is the 15th. O Lord, may who abide, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Those who walk blamelessly and do what is right and speak the truth from their heart, who do not slander with their tongue and do no evil to their friends, nor take up a reproach against their neighbors, in whose eyes the wicked are despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord, who stand by their oath even to their hurt, who do not lend money at interest and do not take a bribe against the innocent. Those who do these things shall never be moved. From the letter of James in the first chapter, verses 17 to 27. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. From the Gospel of Mark in the seventh chapter. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, 
thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. There are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups and pots and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story from the gospel is one that we've heard maybe too many times, especially in the days of hand sanitizer. We can lose some of the bite of this story. I mean, we get why you should wash your hands, but really, what's the big deal? It's easy to overlook the whole point of some of these passages that we've heard so many times, especially one as recognizable as this. When you have this gross retelling of what happens how we process food and dispose of waste. The idea of ritual cleanliness can seem rather antiquated. It's not really about whether you can get sick. It's about losing track of what's really important before God. Jesus calls the Pharisees out for worrying about the wrong things. You can't be impure or defiled because you didn't wash your hands. No, impurity actually comes from a completely different source. It's more about what comes out of you than about what goes in. Now, we think of matters of the heart today as emotional concerns. Purity of heart for us seems to be more about how sensitive you are, how well you can love, how deeply you can feel. But in the ancient world, that wasn't the case. In the ancient world, the heart was not the seat of emotion. It was, in fact, the cognitive organ. It was the center of the will. It was the center of thought. So does that change maybe a little bit how you read this passage? Jesus wasn't worried about the depth of one's feeling. Jesus was worried more about thought 
and about will to action. Just as Jesus calls the Pharisees to stop for a minute and consider what's really important, consider more what comes out of a person than what goes in, so Jesus calls us to do the same, to police our thoughts and to hold them up against the ethic that Christ teaches. Let's be honest, all of us as human beings, we all have our dark thoughts from time to time. And all too often those dark thoughts do lead to dark actions, dark attitudes, leads us to treat other people in ways that are not worthy of one whom God calls child. And Jesus even goes out of the way to enumerate a few of these kinds of things that we are all truly guilty of. In particular, we talk about things like slander and lying and false promises. Things that in this day and age, I'm sure, have a note that rings true. But if we are to truly pursue health, spiritual health and spiritual maturity, we must be willing to see these things not only in another, but in our own selves as well. So think for a moment about some of your thoughts or words about someone who thinks differently from you, has voted differently from you, leads a different lifestyle from you, has made different mistakes than you have made. And consider, too, how those thoughts have led you to act toward those people. Impure thoughts, impure hearts, alienate us from one another, and they alienate us from God. They lead us to do things like gossip, pass judgment without benefit of the doubt, deem another human being somehow less than what you are. Deciding that this person or that person is not a worthy investment for society for any number of reasons. Some of the more racist and misogynist and homophobic and xenophobic thoughts that then lead us to look at another person as something other than what we are. These are all things that harm others but just as surely they harm us, too. Jesus calls us to a new examination of our own hearts. But being self-critical, frankly, is not an easy thing to do. It is, however, necessary if we are to pursue a righteous life. Examining our hearts and minds and souls seeking to love and to grow in the love of God, to strive to become better people day by day with the power of God's Spirit. So maybe the best place to start such an examination is to look at our behavior and work our way back from there. What do we do? 
Why do we do it? What motivates our actions on a daily basis, on an hourly basis? What are those preconceptions that we have either developed or learned that lead us to harm others? The letter of James, like the rest of the Bible, links word and action very closely. And it makes distinctions between religiosity that is worthwhile and religiosity that is worthless. It's only worthwhile if you grow. And that growth is evidenced by the ways in which we link our actions with what we claim to believe. It is worthwhile if it encourages us to strive to be better people, to find ourselves drawn more finely and clearly in the image of Christ. Of course, this all comes back to action. How do we behave? What are the actions that we take, some more active than others? Do we merely say that Jesus is Lord while transgressing all that Jesus taught? Do our actions truly align with God's care for the poor, the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the struggling? If our actions do not align with what we claim to believe, with the teachings to which we claim to subscribe. Perhaps our religiosity is not quite as worthwhile as we had thought. They do say that actions speak louder than words, and that is especially true of the way we live our faith. James points out that saying the words without enacting them is tantamount to just lying to oneself. This day our hearts have strayed pretty far from God. Many these days who fervently claim Christ as Lord, yet engage in the very behaviors that Jesus warns against. We can go back to that list lying and slander and false witness and arrogance, among other things. Many will declare their ardent love for God in the same breath as they declare their vehement hatred for things and people that God has created. Of course, even when our aims are good, even when our goals align, with the teachings of our Christ, we might still be missing the moonshot. We know that it is good to pursue justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. A lot of times, though, we put so much en energy into the pursuit of justice and the love of mercy that we forget about that humble walk with God. We misplace our loyalties in those that we identify 
as helping us to achieve at least our perception of what justice and mercy is. Often finding out that our loyalties are not always so well deserved. Loyalty to nation, political party or candidate, even denomination is a real risk to our ultimate loyalty to God. The temptation to proclaim our loyalty to human agents and agency detracts us from God, who is truly our motivation. It's part of the challenge, though, of this tension, this life that we live with Christ, yet at the same time the life that we live in the world. Sometimes we get our priorities mixed up and we forget who it is who truly teaches us what is good. We sometimes forget that it is God to whom we owe our loyalty. And we end up washing our hands without ever thinking to cleanse our hearts and minds. Jesus calls us to an ongoing accountability, to hold ourselves accountable, to hold our brothers and sisters accountable. There is good news in this, though. This whole notion of cleansing one's heart, being pure of will. It's called sanctification, and it's a process. I don't know that sanctification is ever truly something that anyone completely achieves. Because after all, as human beings, we all engage in a little impurity every now and then, even if it's just in our minds. But we call it spiritual growth for a reason. Because we grow, we change. It's vital for us to examine ourselves for our motivations and our loyalties and our goals and to take a look at the places and ways in which we have strayed, to examine how that happened, why that happened, especially when we wake up to realize that we have placed our hopes and our dreams in a fallible human being or a fallible human institution, hoping that through that agency we might truly find ourselves living a better life. But in all of these ways that we stray, it is important that we seek to learn whatever lessons might be found to strive to become better people. At the end of the day, that's really all we can ask of ourselves, and it's really all we can ask of other people. We each know, if we're honest with ourselves, that we're not perfect. And we know that on our worst days, what comes out of our hearts does indeed defile us and those around us. But even our worst decision on our worst day 
does not define us. If we come back to God, learn our lessons, and use them to become better people. That is the life of faith. You will mess up. We all do. Last week we read Joshua addressing the people, telling them to choose which God they will serve, and warning them, you're going to mess it up. But that's okay. Because every failure, every failure is a chance to learn and to become better. And we must always keep before our own eyes the fact that others will likely mess up too, but that they too might learn from those mistakes and strive to become a better person. What's the, the saying? There's no such thing as a saint without a past, nor a sinner without a future. Hard-heartedness is the thing that we must avoid. Making our hearts so that when we see someone else, or even ourselves, misstepping, mistaking, Too often, our hard-heartedness causes us to pass judgment on others, displaying hostility sometimes. But that stunts our own spiritual growth and jeopardizes our own spiritual health. With softened hearts, we might treat ourselves and one another more gently, even as we establish and strive for higher standards. James tells us to hear and do, to believe and act, to keep our thoughts and our will pure by pursuing that which God loves, knowing even as we fail, that there are lessons to be learned and that our failures need not be the end of all things. Because our God is a God of grace and calls us to be a people of grace. For God's glory, this day and always. Amen.